filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues, including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. So we had our tailgate this weekend, and it was a lot of fun. We had lots of readers come by and listeners to the show and uh, some other podcasters stopped by. Um, the guys from Open Wide for some soccer, all three of them stopped by. Jason Davis uh, stopped yeah. by, which was a complete surprise. He even crashed our Lot 8 Live video after the game, which, which, was, which was fun. Also the most constructive crashing of that. We've had it crashed almost every time, but usually it's just someone yes. screaming at us from the background or in a car. Yeah, this was <laughs> Jason actually stepping in and providing good thoughts on on the game, which Jason, learn how to crash a video, dude. Like <laughs> run around in the background and yell things and otherwise disturb things. Don't don't come in and help. That's not how you crash a video. Come on, dude. You're better than that, Jason. You know now we're just gonna have people throwing objects at us. It's going to escalate rather than I feel like Lot 8 Live was always going to end with people throwing stuff at us. It was always going to go there. If it happens sooner than later, then no. we'll just get to move through it. That's true. No, that, that's not that's not the logical conclusion of that at all. <laughs> it's a video in a parking lot after a soccer I'm, game. Of course it's the logical I'm endpoint. I'm that that's where it's going to end up. It's not where it is now, but we'll get there. Anyway, thank you to everyone who's listening to this who uh, came to our tailgate. And thank you even if you didn't come to the tailgate. Uh, maybe you can come to one in the future. We're, we'll, I think we're going to try to have one more this year, probably in the fall sometime. We'll see if we can manage it. Uh, but if not, we'll definitely have one at some point in the future. And hopefully you can come to that. Until then, hey, yeah, hey, welcome in. <laughs> yes. Thank you, for, thank you for that, Ben. You're welcome. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I am Adam Taylor, joined as always by Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson, all of us from blackandredunited.com, where we write about DC United, the U.S. national teams. We have awesome spirit coverage, too, for women's soccer, and uh, we have great Richmond kickers coverage. So basically, soccer in and around DC and the DMV. We got you covered. Uh, We've got a good show for you tonight, even if DC United didn't get the result they wanted after our awesome tailgate this weekend. They lost one to nothing to Toronto FC, and we're going to talk about that some. And we're going to preview DC United's game this weekend, their third straight weekend with a home game. Uh, this one against the New England Revolution. That'll be Saturday, 530 at RFK Stadium. And it's on TV, too. So if you can't make it out to the stadium, which you totally should, uh, you can watch it on TV. We will talk about all of that very soon. Jason, you look really into whatever it is you're drinking. So why don't you tell us uh, what that is? I've had this for a little while now, and I just finally decided it was time to open it up. It's a bottle of uh, Trappist Rochefort 10, or I don't know oh, that's a good one. which 10 I should be referring to because I don't know which portion of Belgium this is even representing um, because all the words on the bottle are in English. Um, but uh I was buying some <laughs> beer and a guy at the store was like, you're in a Belgian beer. And I was holding Belgian beer in two hands. Like, yes, yes, I am. 
And he was like, he said, (laughs) grab grab this and buy it. Uh, It's excellent. And uh, I'd never had it before. I've only had my first couple, first couple sips. Um, It's outstanding. Um, A lot like uh, Nocturnum, which I've had on here a few times. Uh, It is 11.3% though. So don't just go charging in or do, but you know, know that you're getting yourself into a dangerous situation. Basically, Jason's going to have a fun time in the second segment. Ben, what are you drinking? So I'm I'm sure there's actually a name for this drink, but I don't know what it is. So I just threw it together. Please and tell me it's a random label-less beer that you opened. No, it's actually a uh, <laughs> Limerita. No, it's not at all a Limerita. <laughs> it's actually um, gin, simple syrup, and lemon juice. I'm sure that has a name. I don't know what it is. Is there a Bud Light Lime Arena poured into that, or is there... no? It's not a chalada it's not that or far from a like Tom that. Collins, is it? They're in the same neighborhood. I don't know. There's no, no soda water missing, in it. Okay. Yeah, you have a flat but, Tom Collins, I, I, but I'm not right. missing it because this is delicious. What kind of gin? Okay, it's just something different. Okay. Uh, well, just it's, it's, it's cheap. Yeah, it's the most acceptable. And it still tastes good. That's gins. good. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's good enough. It's for not. Snoop it's Dogg. not like. Yeah, it's it's not like my college days when all the liquors we would buy were from uh, the Bowman's Distillery in Fredericksburg and were uh, like twelve dollars for a handle. I mean, that we was McCormick's. A, a, a in wide Indiana. range. Like, so, McCormick's gin, McCormick's see, rum. When I think of McCormick's, McCormick's I think of the spice whatever. maker, um, not the. Well, the, the McCormick, McCormick is in Maryland. Company? It's I'm up in totally um, sure. Valley. Um, I don't think they have a oh. booze concern <laughs> out your way. <laughs> They're not owned by a parent well, company right. that, that decided, you know what? Spices and booze, they should be branded I mean, they, with they, the same they, name. They kind of have a booze, booze concern since they yes, license that, I mean, that's not a full-time measuring bad, mm-hmm. bad handles of uh, low-end Yes, that is uh, not a – yes. I ruined it, it always made me happy to think they were the same company, but they're probably not. You're probably right. Um, and now I'm sad. I'm just going to I'm just going to sit here and sulk for the rest of the show because <laughs> you took that away from me. Uh, I am drinking something. Um, somebody very graciously left in my cooler at the tailgate. Um, it is a Great Lakes Brewing out of Michigan. It is their Dortmunder Gold Lager. Excuse you. Great Lakes is out of Cleveland. It's out of Cleveland? I'm pretty sure. Uh, you might be right. Let's see. I'm pretty sure you I'm are right. absolutely right. I was mistaken. I apologize to the city of Cleveland for taking away their one thing that's not LeBron. Um, and the river that's my, on fire. My dad said he had a good pizza there once. Their one thing that's not LeBron. Your dad took the other good thing that's not LeBron. The one good pizza. He ate it. (laughs) It's gone. It now lives in Maryland. Uh, It was because let's face it, that's probably still inside your dad's system somewhere. (laughs) Doesn't change anything. Before this gets too out of hand, it's a good beer. It's it's tasty. Great Lakes does good stuff. So yay, Cleveland. DC United gave up a first minute goal and that was basically all that happened at RFK on Saturday after our tailgate. Uh, the black and red fell to Toronto FC one to nothing. Um, 
this was a game that happened, and Jason, you and I talked about it on Lot 8 Live. Um, this happened the, exactly the way Toronto wanted it to happen. If they had drawn up the ideal game plan, it would be score in the first minute and chill for the rest of the game. And that's basically what they did. Uh, Clint Irwin did have to make a, a good save once on a Patrick Niarco shot and had to come out for a couple of crosses um, otherwise. But right. he wasn't that troubled in this game. One really good save um, was basically all he had to do. Other than that, Toronto just sat in and absorbed pressure and United just I mean, couldn't yeah. break them down. Uh, bef- I mean, bef- the first half was... And, yeah. The first half was I don't know. a lot I, I, better. I don't have a question uh, to ask. For but. United, they, other than giving up the goal, um, I think they created a lot, that, not just more chances, but higher quality looks. Um, there was more energy. There was more invention about what they were doing. Um, after, yeah, on a few and it occasions, was finishing yeah, they, there was a little bit a lot of, of the time. you know, the chances they carved out were a little difficult. Uh, Niarco or not Niarco, uh, Nagel nearly scored at the near post, trying to turn in, uh, the bouncing result of a long throw in. He just couldn't hook his body around on frame, uh, to put that one in or Irwin may have made the save, but if he does, you know, it's point blank, you might get a rebound stat. Um, but ultimately, I mean, a lot of their chances were sent wide, um, and the chances weren't as high quality as they were against Vancouver. Um, and then after halftime, it just seemed like they ran out of gas. Um, I, it was a frustrating second half, to be sure, because you know TFC didn't adjust too much. It just seemed like DC ran out of ideas and sort of didn't have I, I will say they didn't have the yeah. um interest from central midfield in trying to create something up the middle, trying to change the way the game was being played. Um right, but at a certain because that's not either of the guys in central midfield. Right. But at a certain point in a game where TFC is only having to do a while. one thing and they're more or less comfortable with Sarvas and De Leon feeding the wingers and feeding the fullbacks and seeing what happens from there. Um, something's got to change. I think Rolf and Espindola dropping off off the front line only helped contribute to the fact that Michael Bradley and Will Johnson were the best players in the, because they they were given the game that they wanted. So at this point, knowing that we don't have that creativity in midfield and we weren't getting it from the front line either, does Lucho Acosta have to be on the field? And what? how far does Ben Olsen need to go to make that happen? Because the answer is yes, of course he needs to be on the field. He obviously didn't fit in at left wing. So do you want to see someone come off? Do you want to see a formation change? What Ben? Uh, I want to see you not answer your own questions. I mean, what? Um, yes, he had, I, I, I answered the easy part so that you could focus on the more technical, interesting part of the question. Sure. I mean, yes, at, at this point, especially given this game, I think he has to be on the field. He has to be in a central position. Uh, he showed well enough on the left wing, but it's obvious that that's not his position. He was uncomfortable enough that it it is obviously not his position. And to go along with that, Chris Rolf was really quite bad in this game. And I think at this point with a team with as many losses and as many ties and as few wins as it has, you have to start trying new things at this point, especially when players over 30 
two aren't producing as much anymore. And you have to give players with such obvious talents as Lucho Acosta a chance. And I think you have to put him in the middle and you, you have to start building the team around him, I think. And if Chris Rolfe isn't going to be able to produce, then yeah, you have to sit him in favor of Lucho Acosta. And so it'll be an interesting week in practice, which uh, we may or may not be able to send our intrepid Steven Streff to see, but it's going to be a key week for Ben Olsen to figure some things out and try to, I think, figure a team uh, out to play around Acosta. Well, before, well, I would say that this was Rolf's first game where he wasn't a factor. Um, in most of the other games, even when he's been, it feels like he's been quiet, he has been often the chief source of setting other people up for shots. It's just that in this game, he was not a factor at all. Um, I mean, the numbers bear it out. The The way the game went uh, bears that out. Um, TFC was very comfortable with him in this one. And um, unfortunately for Acosta, yes, playing at a position, uh, you have to give him some leeway. But he, he didn't exactly <coughs> win this. You know, he didn't give himself a great advertisement. Uh, on the same day that Rolf didn't play well. It was really one of those games where there were a lot of opportunities for players to step up and say, hey, consider consider starting me more, uh, and they didn't do it, especially Alvaro Saborio, but um, Acosta as well. Uh, I Mm -hmm. posted something today that shows uh, Saborio's map of his shots, his key passes, his basically everything you would want an impact substitute to do. And it is a very different it's map. Sad. When I saw it, it I almost very felt, felt like I had, I felt like I had done something wrong, like I had left some things one, unchecked, but I had not. Um, it's one shot. That's it's it. one very badly off-target yes. shot from inside the box, very, but, yeah, but yeah, I, I think very okay. badly off-target. May have opened the door uh, for reconsider, reconsidering who gets to partner Espindola, since apparently Espindola is not anywhere, but no one. Step, if anything, everyone took a step away from that open door. They didn't go towards it. They went further back, which is not really what anyone needed at the time. So that brings me up to to part of the question that, that has been unanswered. Do you want to see Ben Olsen ditch the 4-4-2 or go to something, a modified, a different look uh, in against New England, especially knowing that they are not, unlike Toronto and Vancouver, they are not going to play a 4-4-2 uh, that we can match up against fairly well. They are going to have three men in the central center of midfield, which means, and, and that's a that's a look that United has struggled against over the last year and a half. Except for against the... Um... The one well, that, it's not like we it's not like United created anything in the first game against the Revs no, either. But I think the Revs have what one win in the last three years against DC, um, including being unable to beat United at their at their you know the bottom of their 2015 form as the uh, season ended and then they stumbled into the playoffs. They couldn't even uh, DC at that point. So I don't think Olsen's going to consider it at all because of how things have gone for whatever reason. The way the Revs play the four-two-three-one, United has a real knack for how to deal with it. Um, they never really, you never really see the Revs get going the way they can, the way their their roster looks like on paper they could. Um, and th- what they've done against a lot of other teams, certainly this year, uh, but at other times uh, when they've gotten on a hot streak, 
Um, those games haven't really happened against United very often playing this same system. Um, but I do, I do start to wonder about moving to a four-two-three-one if Patrick Niarko is going to be more of a goal threat, which he's he's been that so far. Um, he only has the one goal, mm-hmm. but he's been close several times. He's getting into scoring positions that he didn't used to get into in Chicago. I think um, either he's been freed up to make those runs, or United has maybe noticed that he wasn't looking for those as much and has encouraged him and maybe taught him a few things about where to run to make to be a little more dangerous in front of goal. Um, Because that was one of my concerns when I wrote about the various possibilities that could get Acosta into the lineup in a central position that isn't second forward. Um, It wasn't just that we don't have a striker for 4-2-3-1, which we still don't because Saborio is not winning the job with uh, most of other than one appearance, most of his play this year. And Espindola doesn't fit that role because he wanders around so much and Rolf is too small for the job. Um, the other question mark I had was the fact that Niarco isn't very, he doesn't have a history of scoring a lot of goals. And if you don't have a dominant forward in that formation, if you don't have someone that can guarantee you 14, 15 goals at the end of the year, which United does not have that player right now, you've got to have wingers that are going to chip in. You know, you need to, Nagel, I don't worry about. Um, He's he's had a record of scoring a fair share of goals. Rolf, I don't worry about whether he's on the right or the left. He's scored goals in the past. He was tied for the leading scorer for the team last year. Um, Niarco, his goal, his highest goal scoring total ever is four. Um, so I did at the time worry about that, but at some point, I think United needs to at least consider it, um, particularly if Espindola is unavailable at some point because there are other teams that are going to play differently. There are other four, two, three, one teams that will trouble. They will test United's double pivot more. And those guys having to play a little higher in the four, four, two, they're going to need that ability to drop off a little without basically gutting the attack. Um, If they, if those two have to beat, you basically don't have an offense for that. And we saw this against the revs actually. Um, ironically enough, where United really did not have much of an attack at all that day. Um, it was, as the game wore on, it became more and more like, let's just hang on and get 0-0. Zero, zero. Um, thankfully, Kellen Rowe uh, missed uh, an easy, easy, easy chance at the very end. But um, in, in Other just, than that, the Revs lo- mostly looked okay with 0-0, zero, zero, yeah, too. It was, it was not a good game to watch for anybody. No, it, it was a pretty sloppy game. Um it was an early season game on turf with the revs, not necessarily in good form um, and United unable to really, it, the funny thing is that game, they didn't really fall apart in midfield. They fell apart with dealing with um, the width. You know, Chris Tierney was a huge factor. Rob Vincent uh, he hung on by his fingertips for that whole game, uh, trying to keep Tierney from just overwhelming him. And he, he managed to prevent Tierney from setting up a goal um, just barely he and, and Sean Franklin, but, um, I don't know that a formation change right now is, is the, the issue so much as, you know, Rolf has to keep Acosta off the field. Um, if I, we've got to be seeing him set up more chances, he's got to be more, I mean, when, how many near misses has he had this season? You know, it's not a high number. Um, he needs to be more of a threat to score. We can't just be looking for him to set things up. He has to be, more of a factor all around. Um, and teams right now seem pretty comfortable in dealing with him as a shooting threat. They've taken one of United's best goal scorers, uh, players from 2015, and they've sort of taken him out of it. Um, 
but on the other hand, you can't just hand over a starting job from a player who has a good history here just because he hasn't been that good. Um, someone else has to come take it. And Acosta has been erratic. Um, and this game was not one where he stepped up and took it. He just, he and everyone else just sort of like put their hands up and stayed away from it. Well, you can't hand it over this early in the season, at least. I mean, if things get really desperate, then yeah, we're going to start seeing all kinds of different changes. Uh, but I don't think, especially given the nature of the East, I don't think we're in desperate situation just yet because the East no. is another situation where people right. are not stepping up and taking it. Yeah, uh, the East is... No one. You know how I mean, people Montreal, have talked about how bad the East has been recently? This year, it's actually really, really true. It's actually true this time. Um, Montreal is the only team in the East that I look at and say, well, this team is definitely better than DC United. Everyone else is more or less just like us. They've had bounces here and there. Um, TFC, when they get home, they'll probably show that they're probably... It's going to be really weird if those two are the only good teams in the East after years and years of watching them. How are you guys like this? Um, It'll be, you know, the complete opposite. Well, they'll be the only ones like, we're the only competent guys here. Are you kidding me? It'll be like... so. I've said for a while that Canada has an unrealized competitive advantage over the American teams in MLS, and that's that they have a larger pool of domestic players because Canadian players count as domestic for them, whereas they count as international slots south of the 49th parallel. And maybe they're finally making that small competitive advantage count. Um, Maybe they have ownerships that are willing to splash a lot of money uh, as well, but they do have this other competitive advantage that may or may not change in the future. Back to to DC United. One last thing I wanted to talk about before we we take a break and change gears to talk more about the Revs. Uh, it, it's not just Rolf who has been off this year. There are some other guys who have been underperforming. None more so, to my mind, than the captain Bobby Boswell at center back. He was. Very not good in this game against uh, against Toronto. Uh, no, just 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 very not good. If you watch just regular ungood. If you watch yeah. the highlight video, everything TFC does involves a mistake from Boswell. Um, now, granted, that was pretty much all TFC did. Uh, yeah, uh, that's why it's not double plus yeah. ungood because it wasn't like he was overrun over like consistently over the 90 minutes he just got overrun on regular occasions over the 90 minutes it it seems like whereas last year and and to a lesser extent the year before he could counteract his dwindling speed which was never high to begin with um he could counteract that with being one of the smartest guys on the field and now he's no longer able to do that he it, it you see it over and over again, and Boswell's always been a physical guy, and he won't make any bones about it. Um, but you see over and over again where a defender will or an attacker will will cut short, and he will run up and try to just kick him when he receives the ball, and then try to retreat. And if that doesn't work, that then then he's just out of the play. And he can win some headers. That that part of his game is still well and good, but uh, the the overall game, it doesn't seem like is is anywhere near the level it was even 14 months ago well, or 18 months ago for Boswell. It, it just seems a lot of this is decision making. Um, yeah, stepping in, there's that too. Stepping up when he doesn't need to, um, biting on things that he should know better. Um, 
getting caught in situations where he has to peel out wide, which we all know, everyone in the league knows, Boswell knows better than anyone. Um, if he has to go track someone going out wide without cover, every, everything has gone wrong at that point. Um, and there were two or three times in this game where he got he got himself, well, Toronto, I guess, got him one-on-one with Jovinko right. in in the open field. And that is, and I said this to the people around me at the game, that is the nightmare situation. That is the nightmare right. scenario for DC United is Jovinko one-on-one with Boswell with the ball at his feet. And it's and they got it two or three times. Luckily, nothing came of it. But if I, I really don't like seeing that happen. And granted, Boswell did fine on, on those occasions. But like you said, anytime Toronto did something, it was a mistake from Boswell that led to it. Well, I mean, on the goal, I will say that just about everyone in a defensive position had yeah, that some... was a mistake from everybody on right. wearing black. Um, but he made he was involved, and then on a lot of the other ones, he was more more of the chief uh, error maker, so to speak. Um, it, he needs to be better. Um, flat he, out, he really he needs, does. He needs to be smarter because he he's. I don't think he's any slower or physically able than he ever was. It's just that his decision-making this year has not been sharp where it needs to be because he's slower. So he has to be sharp. Um, and he's just seemed a little off and teams have seemed a little more able to draw him out. Um, I do think that that's probably part of the plan is that he's made a career of stepping into that smart moments and breaking things up. And you say, okay, let's get him to step forward, but then move the ball quickly to where he, he, he used to be. Um, and I think that's been a problem. Uh, the only issue that I have is that Kofi Opare played one game and he did not play well. Um, it's another situation where yeah. when the door was open, uh, another DC United player did not step through it. Um, and this isn't like, you know, at least with Acosta, we can, there's a big, not a big, but a fairly large, um, you know, set of evidence, a five foot three, right. A five foot three set of evidence. Um, with Opara, <laughs> we've got the one game to judge him on. And that game was poor enough that we're, it's not worth making the change. Um, but at the same time, if Boswell keeps making mistakes that are involved in chances against or goals against, um, those kind of things can unravel an otherwise good performance. This wasn't that game, but, uh, you know, let's say against Vancouver, against a team that was really poor if he had made one of these kind of mistakes in that game, all of a sudden we're not looking at four nothing. We might not even be looking at one nothing or two one or what have you. Um, these mistakes are coming at points in the game where United can't afford mistakes, and it's not it's not everyone making the mistake uh, most of the time. It's not that it's not Bill Hamid back there organizing. It's Bobby Boswell making a decision that he should be able to make, and he's getting it wrong. And on that lovely note, we are going to take a quick break. We will be right back. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Well, it's a it's a new season here in D.C. for D.C. United and for us here at Filibuster as we enter season number five of the podcast. Yay, us. Happy birthday, us. Uh, we want to take time to record a new message from our sponsor, the Ehrlich Law Office. They provide discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions for those of us living in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. Sorry, Jason. You're out of luck. I I guess I'm doomed. You, you are doomed. Um, <laughs> th- this message goes to people in Nova and D.C. Your rights matter. You deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. Um, Marylanders deserve none of that. 
I, I wouldn't go that far, Ben, but we'll, but we'll people, in Nova, and people in and people in Northern Virginia, DC, that definitely applies to you. I can't speak to whether it applies in Maryland. Uh, if you have suffered from workplace discrimination or wage theft, uh, you're you're dealing with some non competition or non solicitation litigation. Your civil rights have been violated. Uh, or there's been an illegal taking by the government, or you have uh, disability issues, or you have uh, a complaint in education law, then the Ehrlich Law Office is who you should talk to. They're good friends of the show. Uh, I, I know the the lawyers there personally. They are really good at their jobs, and they're really good people. Uh, and you should check them out for a free consultation. Go to EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. It's time now to talk about the New England Revolution. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, didn't we just play the Revs? The answer is yes, we did. Welcome to MLS scheduling, where it's the first third of the season and we are already playing the Revs for the second time. New England will come to RFK Stadium on Saturday afternoon. Um, That game will be at 530, so make sure you're in your seats then. And if you can't make it, the game will be on ABC seven and on whatever Sinclair station serves your local market. And if none of them do, it'll be on MLS live. New England comes into RFK after a bizarre two to two draw with the Orlando city purple lions. Um, that game involved a lot of Baldomero Toledo, <laughs> um, making Baldomero Toledo type decisions. Um, go watch the highlights. There's yeah, both teams have some complaints. Orlando city fans are really salty about the penalty that went against them for uh, a handball that, that really wasn't, but they're not mentioning the fact that there was a blatant handball on their go ahead goal that went uncalled. Um, so they were both the beneficiaries of, and the victim of slightly imaginary handballs. So <laughs> go figure. On New England, though, they are currently sitting fifth in the Eastern Conference and riding a really weird four-game unbeaten streak where three of the games were draws and the other one was a win over the completely hapless New York Red Bulls. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that part should make you happy. Um, that said, the Revs have only lost one game all year. So they're coming in in an interesting kind of mindset, you have to think. Jason, what's going on in the Revs world other than that record? Uh, they're just not necessarily getting it all done. They're, they're not able to put together a front-to-back good performance uh, for the most part. There are games where their midfielders look sharp and the rest of the team doesn't come through. Um, they haven't really had a consistent presence up front between uh, Charlie Davies and Juan Agudelo, both having minor injuries. Uh, Teal Bunbury has... I think Teal Bunbury now has more starts at forward than anyone else on the team. And there's a reason why he has been over the last few years transitioned to wide midfield because he's not really a forward. Um, he did, but other than that was actually kind of bad for most of the night. Um, Lee Wynn hasn't really gotten going yet, though his stoppage time penalty that was not merited whatsoever uh, might have helped him. Um <laughs> It's good that he dodged the various objects that Orlando fans uh, so generously tossed in his direction, um, because of course, uh, but, um, it's been weird watching them. Other than Chris Tierney, 
I think every single or and maybe Shuttleworth, maybe those two are the only players that can say I've done at least a decent job in every game this season. Um, everyone else on the Revs, you know, their starters, the reserves that come in regularly, they just haven't been that good. Um, it and it's not that Jermaine John because they found probably the closest Jones clone that you can get from within MLS in in Gershon Kofi. Um, it's just that the players themselves haven't been in good form. And, and this has happened to the Rebs uh, over and over again, where they'll go seven, 10 games while, where they're just flat or bad. And then yeah. all of a sudden something will fall into place and then they'll go 10 games where they're unplayable. Um, but the last couple of years, that thing that would fall into place was Jermaine Jones. Like when two years ago, when they had their big right. winless streak, they got Jermaine Jones and he came in, and immediately they were unplayable, and they went all the way. What did they go to MLS Cup that year? Yeah, yes, yeah, they made they it did. to the final last year. They had this streak when I, th- I think Jones was injured for a part of it or something. He he missed a chunk of it, and then he came back, and they figured it out and right. got going and made the playoffs. This year they don't have Jermaine Jones, and even if Gershon Kofi is as close to a Jones clone as you can get. He's not Jermaine Jones. Right. He doesn't. Ha- he doesn't have Jones's passing range. Um, he doesn't his have his presence. Like whatever you think not, of the guy, Jermaine I mean, Jones is a right. infectious and al- guy. And he also doesn't get the play with the refs that Jermaine Jones gets, where he's right. getting where Gershon Kofi is getting more cards for the same he kind gets of play a card that pretty much uh, every Jermaine game. Jones wouldn't um, get. Yeah, Kofi is a guy. I mean, beyond, and Jermaine Jones is doing the same thing, and yeah. Jermaine Jones well, is not there's getting a certain, those cards. There's a certain aspect of Jones being a very charismatic player, um, and yes, as Adam said, not um, he is able to. The yeah, guy's he's able to affect his team in ways more that are that go beyond what he can do with the ball, and that extends to referees. It extends to opposing players. Um, some guys just have that weird. Uh, Halo, where they get away with some stuff and they can act a certain way, and people are it, it rubs them the right way. Whereas if anyone else tried, it'd be like, "What are you doing? Like, please stop. Uh, this is unacceptable behavior for you." Um, you know, Jones is the kind of guy that when he joined the Revs, he could immediately act however he wanted, and the Revs were just on board. Whereas when Kofi came in, if if I'm not saying he was, but if he tried to act in the way, just be the person that Jermaine Jones is, they would have been like, "Dude, what are you doing?" Uh, cut it out. It would have been embarrassing. Um, and, and they do kind of lack that personality, um, especially since the other personalities on their team are Jose Gonzalez, who sometimes is a lunatic, um, and uh, Jay Heaps, who sometimes loses his mind and gets into an argument with Adrian Heath and then turns red in the face. Uh, much to much to my amusement. Um, not that I'm a big Adrian. He- <laughs> much yeah, to all that, of our not that any of us are big fans of Adrian Heath, but to see them go from animated conversation to just furious screaming uh, on the part of Heaps was awesome, and I I hope it happens again on national TV. I hope it happens every week. I'll go even further. I hope that every single Reds <laughs> game ends with Jay Heaps losing his mind. It's really also, weird. Also, I think the same thing for Orlando City games. I hope Adrian yes. Heath loses his mind. You, you don't in all who- of them. In that situation, you don't know who's going to lose their mind. Um, also, and, and also, a- a- Adrian Heath is a tiny Mickey Mouse person, as befits his Orlando citizenship. Now, I just want to see the two of them get in a screaming back match with Marco Schellebaum, who I think holds the MLS record for manager red cards per ninety. But he, yeah, Schellebaum hated referees. Um, yeah, he, he specifically didn't really would yell, yell at, at other coaches. 
Um, That's true. That's true. And then you have in the, that, the Eastern Conference, this is, this is very appropriate. In the Eastern the Conference, the conference. coaches yell at each other and get red in the face. In the Western Conference, you have Pereja and Porter being passive-aggressive at each other. Right. Oh, come on. Bruce is the master of passive aggression. Also in the Western Conference. Yep, exactly. So it fits. Uh, it's really weird, though, that, that New England doesn't really have a personality on the field because they have these attacking players that you think of as playing with personality. Right. You have Lee Wynn. You have Charlie Davies. You have uh, Diego Fagundes and Kellen Rowe. Like, you have one of the most hyped. Yes young attacking cores not all of them are young obviously but you have one of the most hyped mostly american attacking cores in 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 mls and yet they just kind of don't have it when they don't have jermaine jones and and hopefully that remains true this weekend when they play dc united but it's it's bizarre to me that this team is so rudderless with those kinds of players. And, and I'll say a, a lot of the hype has to do with the fact that so many of their attackers are younger or likable in some way with, in the case of Wynn and Davies, there's a, a likability with the others. There's their youth. Um, and in a lot of American soccer circles, we get too caught up on a young player who happens to look like he could be good. Take that to mean that that player is good and is going to keep getting better and better. Um, in a lot of the cases of the revs. Hey, I mean, you got that Boonbury. You got that Boonbury. Right. You remember he scored a penalty for the he national played, team. He must be he good. He played for he the national really team. Good. And then when you watch him. Tail Bunbury. Yeah. When you watch him play, it's no accident that he's not. Generally speaking, if all the revs are healthy, he's not necessarily starting. Um, even on a team with players as erratic as Agudelo, uh, Diego Fagundes, who people have been talking about a lot this season as if he took a step up when he really just had one good game. Um, he has not actually taken a step up as a player. I feel like a lot of the hype behind the revs is misplaced. I think it's very aspirational. I think a lot of people look at the revs and they see what all of those players could be at once, but it, it is all of them are going to step up at the same time. And that, well, and it's the third or fourth year of a lot of those guys playing together right now. And you and have to wonder at, why at they some point, if they're not world beaters, then they're not world beaters. Right. And, and you have to wonder why, if that group is so talented, why haven't they ever been able to put it together for more than a couple months here and there? Um, and I think that falls on the coaching staff. Um, if you've got players of that quality at that age and you just need to point them in the right direction, you're just trying to steer them to be the best players they can be. And they are still roughly the same player they were other than I'll say Scott Caldwell um, has developed quite a bit. Um, he is the funny thing is no one talks about Scott Caldwell, but he's the one that has advanced the most, uh, in that time of their, he's the one that's come the furthest. Um, and yet no one talks about him because I guess, you know, we have enough defensive midfielders. We're, we're a nation of goalkeepers and defensive midfielders. Um, it's true. He's a, he's a homegrown guy Um, for them. He's a homegrown player. You think that that would alone be a reason to get excited, but I don't know. It's a weird situation with the revs where everyone wants everyone wants to see like Diego Fagundes as a good game and they want to extrapolate it out to be 10 good games and it just doesn't hold up. Um, but that's not to say that they're not a dangerous team. It's just, they're so it's, it's such a weird thing where they just can't put it together as a group all at once um, until they all of a sudden all hit the same stride at the same time. And then it's like, Oh, all of these players are playing at, at, at or near their best, all amazing. But then it goes away again. Um, so it's it's a they're a difficult team. They're they're going to play the same way, 
they don't it's not that they've changed how they go about their business they're just not executing it very well and they haven't all year uh, other than the one game where Fagundes was I think two goals and one assist um they've got that one game to fall back on everything else is like well yeah you didn't deserve to win those games so let's turn our attention now to how they'll look against DC United. Last week against Orlando, they played Teal Bunbury up front, which has been rare for his time overall in New England. He's generally been a target winger for them rather than target forward. But last week, and I think even one or two weeks, I think it's three. I think it's three times. Yeah, this he's season. he's played as their one lone forward. Uh, should we expect that this week in DC or? is Charlie Davies or one of their other guys who's kind of more of a natural number nine at this point going to be back? Well, Davies did come in um, against Orlando. Uh, I want to say, where was it? So so he played the the last 27 minutes, um, which, you know, point action that he could be able to play from the start. Um, It could mean that he's, yeah, I, th- I think his issue was a just a minor strain, so it wasn't something where he's definitely out for a month. Um, but it, it's it's hard to say because he's been injured, but not injured badly this whole time. He, if it were the playoffs, he probably would have been playing a couple weeks ago. Um, Agudelo has contusion um, where he was not ruled out of the. I don't think he was ruled out for this game. He ended up not playing, but beforehand he wasn't ruled out. Um, I know that that Heaps will – if Davies or Agudelo can start, they will start over uh, Bunbury um, as a forward. Bunbury might end up on the wing. He might end up on the bench uh, depending on – you know, Fagundes has sort of left midfield, but it's only because Kellen Rowe has been erratic. Uh, Bunbury has been up front. They don't have their normal attacking depth because of the other issues they've run into with injuries and form. Um but if everyone is healthy, if Davies and Agudel are a past fit, if both if one of them can play an hour, then that player will start over Bunbury because Bunbury, despite left forward and having come up as a forward, he doesn't have a forward's instincts. Um, it's not often he scored a goal this week that was a goal poacher's kind of goal, and he doesn't really take up that position. It's actually that goal sort of highlights how how rarely he takes up that proper position. Um, his off the ball movement is not very sharp. Um, he doesn't have hold up striker instincts either. He has the build for it to get in behind, um, but he doesn't make the runs that are useful for getting in behind. He's really an odd player. Altogether, all he's really an odd player. Um, There's a reason he moved out to the wing, yeah. and I referred to him as not a natural number right. nine. Um, he's just not that guy. And his form this year has been not. He hasn't been bad. He just hasn't been that good either you know he's putting in you know doing enough but it's not he's not doing a lot on a team that needs somebody else to step in alongside Lee Wynn and do more um so so it it, it's probably something we won't find out about until maybe even the lineups come out because it doesn't behoove the revolution to tell everyone oh Charlie Davies is fit and that means they don't have to say it that everyone knows that he's going to start if he's fit um, it doesn't behoove them to say Agudelo is fit and Davies isn't. So I think that they're going to keep it under wraps. Um, I mean, it's not something that DC United is, it's not a concept that they are unfamiliar with keeping an injury under wraps. Um, <laughs> and you know, Ben Olsen would never do that. And, and the revs are owned by the new England Patriots who are like the model organization for keeping secrets. So I, I have a feeling that we're not going to find out until the lineups come out unless 
someone gets severely injured in practice and it's it's something they can't keep covered up. That's the only way that we're going to find out one one thing or the other. Um, but it does change a lot. Um, those three are all very different players. Um, Davies is the smallest of them, but is the best holdup player. Um, Agudelo has the money. <laughs> uh, Bunbury has the raw tools uh, to be an excellent forward. He just can't put it together. It's a really weird set of guys, but if deployed correctly and if uh, especially with Davies, um, they Davies has made that team better whenever he's been in. He might be the closest yeah. thing to a spark personality wise that they can get from within their squad. Um, and maybe his issue this year has just been a lingering injury. I know he just, I think he, his wife just gave birth very recently. To twins. Yeah. So he's been a, like he's in been the a last busy month. man. Yeah. Right. So he's been a busy man outside of being injured. Um, Which, and by the way, once he... congrats to Charlie on that. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and his to, wife to and, and, his, and wife. his growing uh, family. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't know how you handle having twins. Um, but I, then again, I can barely handle day-to-day life. So I don't know. Um, <laughs> but uh, maybe he's been distracted along with the injury. Maybe he's just not right in the right headspace. Uh, but we've seen Davies he just needs that one little moment. And then all of a sudden he gets into the right headspace, and then all of a sudden everything falls into place for him. Um, yeah. So he's been a completely different player for the Revs than he was in his one year for DC United. He's not the guy who, who he was before the car crash, right. Who would basically look to get in behind and, and finish. And he was incredible at that. And, I, I said at the time that he's going to be better than Josie Altador for the national team. He probably would have. Um, and he would have been. And he absolutely would have yeah. been. Um, but now he's a much smarter he had guy to... than that was. And he probably deserves a look at the national team again as a completely different forward than he was. And that's that's a testament to him. And um, but But I do want to turn to the New England mm-hmm. defense where, where Jose Gonzalez – missed last week with a completely unreported injury. Uh, we don't know anything about it. We, we've we heard yep. that it's a minor injury, but that's all we know. Um, it could be a minor, major injury, or it could just be one that kept him out of the lineup for one game. We don't know. Um, but if he is not on the field at RFK, what does that mean for them? Which Because he's been a guy that's that's been kind of two very different guys yep. in one. There, there are times where he's an MLS Defender of the Year candidate and times where he's just a head case who looks like he has a knife and really wants to use it. Uh, and, and the weird thing is he's all of those things. Um, oftentimes at the same time, there are times where he looks really, really <laughs> smart, but then also loses his mind uh, over something that's just not a thing to get upset about. Um, what the Revs did in Orlando was they brought Javon Watson in from right back. Um, they played him in central defense, which... Uh, Dallas did a couple times last year, but it was only when they were in like horribly dire straits. It was like, we don't have enough defenders to field a lineup. Um, so we're going to try this. Um, Watson actually did okay. He did give up a penalty in the first 14 seconds. Uh, he did also find himself. That's not great. No, that is not great. Um, the rest of the game though, he actually, especially in the first half when the revs were completely in control, um, outside of the penalty kick, they were, they were on the front foot the whole time. Um, he was a big part of that. And he also did well in the second half when Orlando took control back of the game and, and it was a lot of emergency defending. Uh, he came up with a lot of big blocks, very comfortable with that stor- sort of game. The problem is that he and Andrew Farrell seem kind of similar in that regard. 
Um, they're both a little more comfortable being the emergency defender, uh, whereas Gonsalves likes to step up uh, a lot of times. Gonsalves maybe is reckless stepping forward, but the the pairing makes more sense, whereas Farrell and Watson were unfamiliar and they both seemed to want to drop off, which left a little window for Orlando to really do their work. Um, I was personally surprised that uh, that's the way they went. They brought in London Woodbury at right back, and I, I think Heaps just came down to who's my best, who's the, my fifth best defender, that guy, I'll put him in, and then we'll sort out the rest of the team from there. Um, because Watson... So at this point, at this point, is is Andrew Farrell a center back for them? Because he played a lot of right back for them, he, and I think arguably has been a lot better as a right back. He was a center back for all of last year. Um, and okay. he's, I, I don't think they have any intention of, of swapping him out. Um, they like the fact that he... He does have some skill in the ball when he was drafted. There was talk that he might even be a defensive midfielder rather than a defender. Um, so I think right. they like the fact that he's got that that touch on the ball, that passing range that, that center backs don't often have. Um, it does come with some negatives because sometimes he can be a little too comfortable with the ball or a lot too comfortable with the ball. Um, his, def- his center back instincts aren't there yet. Um, it, he's still learning on the job and He's not great. Um, he's had he and it's a weird thing because Gonzalez loves to play physically, but he's not that good in the air either. Um, and if if it's Watson coming in, Watson is decent in the air, but decent in the air for a guy that is a career midfielder slash right back. Um, not necessarily the kind of aerial dominance you expect from a center back. Um, not that United is equipped with their starting lineup to manage of that because it's going to. I hate to break it to you guys, but it's going to be a Spindle and Rolf again. Um, I don't think one game is going to break that up. Um, but, right. Uh, but, uh, Spoiler alert. there's a vulnerability there. I think with, with Watson maybe has five or six MLS career appearances at center back. So he's, it, he's a player, but this is a new role to him. Um, Farrell still has some things to learn. Um, I think they can be pressed, uh, because both of those players have some experience, being in the midfield, I think they're a little too comfortable with the ball at their feet. Um, I also think that the fact that they both want to drop and be the emergency defender and neither one of them wants to step into the play, um, that is going to leave a pocket of space necessarily going to be covered that well. Um, Caldwell is a smart player, but that's it's a, it leaves him with about 5-10 yards extra to cover in an area of the field where you can't give away any space. Um, Gershon Kofi can get there, but Gershon Kofi, as we already talked about, is flying around getting yellow cards left and right. Um, he's getting himself in trouble with the referees over and over again. Um, it would be a big vulnerability as long as United can take advantage of it. We will definitely need to see a better version of a Spindola, um, a more, in, a much more involved Chris Rolf. Um, and in central midfield, it would be it would be beneficial to see DeLeon or Sarvas burst out of there and try and combine through the middle rather than just funnel play to the wings over and over again. I'm not saying they have to be pushing up as a central attacking midfielder or anything like that, but you know, don't just always spread the ball wide. Um, sometimes look to combine with the forwards yourself. You know, one or two times can do wonders because all of a sudden that that, that adds to the number of things New England has to figure out. Um, I think it's a center back pairing that could be confused. If Gonzalez comes back, I think you can confuse them too because Gonzalez is crumb. If you've got him and Kofi on the same team, you're just giving you're giving away free kicks that you don't need to give out. Um, 
you're getting yourself in trouble with the referee in a way that you don't have to get in trouble. Um, and United needs to make that count. Uh, if they're, if it's, if they win this game on set piece goals, great, you know, win the game, however you can. Um, but take advantage of what's there in central defense, whether they're normal starters or whether it's Watson coming in from a, into an unfamiliar role. Ben, anything else you want to talk about before we turn in for the night? Uh, just that even though I don't wish the New England Revolution any wins in any sorts of games, I was delighted that they still prevented Orlando City <laughs> from also winning a game. In such a it's such a bad call. It's in so many ways such a bad call. But so yeah, was the yep, one that or, that put Orlando ahead. They were both really bad calls. If you hate both these I drink, teams, that was a I really drink, fun game. I drink. I drink. You drink, Ben. We <laughs> we, we know. We know that you drink. No, I, I drink their tears though. Is what I'm trying to say. Are their tears alcoholic? If so, that that they should probably get that checked out. From from Orlando, probably. Distilled Mickey is probably alcoholic. That's a, I'm not going to touch that one. We, we shouldn't go distilling uh, cartoon characters. Um, but, uh, I mean, the, no. the the Molino goal was just a handball that was one thing wrong, whereas the, the, uh, the equalizer for the Revs involved calling a ball off of the shoulder and, clear, oh, and so like, bizarre. clearly off of the shoulder. Um, calling that a handball... Uh, and clearly the box, inside and the changing box, changing it to inside the box for a penalty kick when it was never a foul, and also he like he was like a good yard and a half inside the box. It was no question when he blew his whistle. You have to give a yeah, penalty. It was clearly that. inside the box. Um, it was so it was to a, give a free kick outside the box enraged yeah. the revs and Orlando. Like everyone on the field was enraged at that call, um, which is a rare thing to see. The mass confrontation in which everyone on the field agrees that the referee is bad and is yelling at him. Um, I. <laughs> Ladies yeah, and yeah. gentlemen, Baltimore Toledo to this game. I I feel like after Heaps lost his mind yelling at him and everyone else that at, Toledo may or may not get an assignment this week because <laughs> we only recently learned that they're given their assignments a month out. Um, but that might get changed. Yeah, and yeah, right. well, Alan this is Chapman still, was yeah they they get their assignments yeah, a month out, but apparently in, that can change. This is American if you make a really bad well, decision as a ref. I, I think they're. I think. I think they're given their assignments a month out, but in month increments. So that was the end of Alan Chapman's month. Uh, well, then it's then they're not getting every assignment a month out. Like it, it was supposed to be. I think what I read was four weeks advance. It oh was yes, because the internet is always correct. Well, um, I mean, from Peter Walton from PRO. Yeah, this was this was from hey, a Peter Walton phone call. And if and if they get their. If they get it four weeks in advance, then it's a rolling thing. If they get it one month at a time at the beginning of the month, then they're not actually getting notice for about half the games. But so it's uh, in it's, any case, we're probably who the hell not knows? going to get Toledo. First off, who the hell knows? Exactly. We're not going to get Toledo because but at the Jay same time, Heaps that's rage. not what we understood. Um, because yeah. even if they're saying you have to work a game this weekend, we're not signing. <laughs> and he's not going to ref the play you, you had last week. That is now it won't be this you. one, right? Right. Exactly. Even if they were really happy with him. They, he wouldn't be roughing the same team right. two weeks in a row. So, you know. So, no Toledo for us this weekend. I mean, Hooray. we might end up with Ted Uncle, who's handing out um, false, false identity red cards to players that don't even have the same hair color. Um, yeah. I, I think I think they're going to find a way to somehow send him to ref the uh, upper Nunatuck 
Premier League this week. <laughs> well, that's long overdue with Ted Uncle, but that's Wait, is, we're not the is, refereeing podcast. They're all fairly is bad. well-known coward Juan <laughs> Guzman still refing in MLS this year. Oh, oh yeah, because I haven't I haven't oh, yeah. seen much of him this year, but I'm sure he still exists. So we haven't got. I don't think we've gotten him yet, but he's okay. Refing. Great, I, I, we'll I, probably I get him this weekend, and we will probably, probably. have a, a dog so call go completely ungiven. I was about to make a joke about him. Okay, yeah. make make your joke. No, it's just like he's probably going to ref this game. It's not even a joke. It's just a statement. It was a <laughs> that, quip. That I already made. Yeah, because you talked over me. You stomped, well, I was, you stomped on his quip. I, I didn't stomp on him. I hadn't finished like my Ricard- thought. I was in the middle of a thought. and, and you, st- you, you stomped on my quip just like Ricardo Clark. And on that note, we're going to get out of here. Ben gets the last joke. That's me making it up to you, buddy. <laughs> Thank you. Find us on blackandredunited.com. We're also on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes. Find us on Stitcher. Find us on SoundCloud. Find us wherever quality podcasts are carried. Uh, Mostly, though, tell a friend about us. We really appreciate it when you do that. And that's really, honestly, how our, our listener base grows. So we love all of you. And... We love you even more when you tell friends about the podcast. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. We will talk to you real soon. Until then, say goodbye, Jason. Adam was wrong, folks. Goodbye, Jason.